time to smash it up. It's a 9-0 edition of the Sunday Smash presented by State Farm agent and our friend Russ Forhist. He's Irish O'Fell, the managing editor of Warchant.com. My name is Tom Lang, and Florida State wins again on the road. It was ugly at times, but it was a W. FSU fought through attrition on the way to going 9-0. That was their final ACC road game of the season, Ira. So your last roadie to an ACC venue, but we are going to book another one to Charlotte, North Carolina after what happened yesterday. Uh, Welcome in, sir. Take me through if you want to the last 24 hours of your life. You've been uh, traveling galore. You're back in Tallahassee already. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was a shorter trip to Pitt than the last one. You know, when we went 10 years ago, I think a lot of us, you know, really made a big several day weekend out of it. Um, This time didn't really do that. It was kind of pretty much up on Friday back early this morning, but um but you know, tons of tons of Knowles there, and you know, everybody seemed like they had a good time. The game was a little dicey there early. I think you know people were freaking out a little bit. Um, you know, when there was basically ten seven in the first half, and just kind of felt like uh, Florida State, you know, was was going to do whatever they could to keep Pitt in the game. Um, you know, with the the fumble and the fourth down stop and all that. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you win by seventeen points on the road. Um, so you can't be too unhappy about it. And you clinched the ACC uh, championship game appearance. So, you know, all things considered, um, I think it was a successful road trip just because you, you kept moving forward. You know, you didn't take a step back. You didn't see your season um, sideswiped by, you know, one bad day. I'm going to ask you about the locker room in just a minute. I'd love to get your insights on that because you go to these things. You can feel what it's like in the room, what Mike Norvell's tenor is like before and after the camera rolls too. That That's important. People don't get to see that. But firstly, you know, we documented thoroughly that the Wake Forest road game was one in which Florida State fans showed up in droves, and and they really drove the sound of that game, the sounds of the game on television. As I heard them, the crowd was present the whole time. It seemed like it was a sleepier atmosphere in Pitt. I don't know how many Knowles fans there were at times when they showed the crowd, Ira. It looked like it was sparse in some sections, and maybe some season ticket holders didn't make their way over to the former Heinz Field uh, but what did you see and, and how much uh, Garnet did you see in the stands yesterday? Yeah, it's definitely accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, there obviously weren't as many FSU fans as there were at Wake Forest, but there's a good bit. The difference, though, was they were pretty spread out. It was like, I, mean, I don't know if it's because like FSU fans bought tickets from Pitt fans or or what the deal was, but there was a lot of Garnet interspersed between uh, the blue, I guess, or the gold a pit throughout the stadium. So there were a lot of FSU fans there, but it wasn't like a huge contingent. There was one section, uh, probably of the players' families kind of in the corner. Um, But for the rest of it, it was just kind of, they're spread out. So they weren't a force the way they were against Wake Forest. Um, And Pitt, you know, like you said, most of the, you know, I'm sure a lot of their season ticket holders, a lot of their older fans didn't come out. They're two and six. They're playing a, a, you know, a really good Florida state team. The students though really did come out like their student section was pretty well packed and they were pretty loud and they were into it, um, you know, until things kind of got sideways in the second half. But, but for the most part, you know, that group, it's amazing, man. Like you could have a stadium that's pretty empty, but if, if one group of students is making a lot of noise, like you can, you can feel them and, uh, and they were a presence. Yeah. I saw yesterday on the, TV screen. I think everybody did. When Florida State pushed it to 17-7, to that's when they hit the town. They're like, all right, we're going out for tonight. We gave it a shot. We tried our best. It was interesting there for a minute, uh, but it's not going to go our way, and it seemed to empty out. Uh, but after the game, you, know, you go down to the locker room, the visitor's locker room, and uh, you could see Mike Norvell was pleased at how Florida State fought through the attrition. 
but just your, your overall sense of, of what he and the players felt like after that game. Because, you know, Ira, if you're watching it just at home, it's not a satisfying victory because it's not one of those where you overwhelm your opponent. But at the same time, I could see where a coaching staff and a roster says, I'm very happy with this win, considering all the things that they had to overcome, especially on the offensive side of the ball being dinged up. Yeah, I think they were happy for a couple reasons. Like you said, one big one was they recognized what they were up against and, and it was significant. And I know, you know, we're going to talk about it more, but just the situation at wide receiver and, and, and the challenges that presented against the pit defense, who was clearly going to stack the box and try to make Florida State throw the ball, which suddenly became a lot more challenging. And, uh, so you know, they they overcame that. You had a bunch of individual guys step up in in key moments, which I think was huge. And then I think you know the overall accomplishment uh, meant a lot to them. I mean, you know, it, this is it's been nine years since Florida State went to the AC Championship game. You know, if you think about where Florida State was two years ago, even a, midway through last season when they had that three game losing streak, you know, you just is it how long is it going to take to get back to that level? And now here you are. You've clinched a berth in the AC Championship game with three weeks left in the regular season. I mean, Louisville, who's number two in the ACC, still has two more ACC games to play. So we don't even know if they'll make it in, but you're already secure. You're locked in, 7-0 in the conference. So I think there was a, a real sense of gratification about that. And I think the third thing, I was going to say too, but I think the third thing also is I think that they think they're going to get a lot of these guys back this week. Yep. So yep. there's an excitement there that, okay, we could go into this last stretch of Miami and Florida and the AC championship game and maybe be closer to full, full health, at least at those skill positions. It is crazy. Ira. And I was talking to some friends this morning about, you know, what's coming up the next month. Uh, we're trying to book some things together to do. And Charlotte comes up, you going to Charlotte. Well, yeah. I mean, Gene has talked about the whole war chance staff's going to go there. It's been nine years since we've been there. And when you say that out loud, like, and you really consider nine years have passed, since Florida State has been to Charlotte for the ACC championship game. Like, I get you're in the same division with Clemson, so there's a, a prohibiting factor there with how dominant they've been. But it's Florida State. Nine years, Ira. The wait is over. FSU is going to be back in Charlotte. And, you know, I wasn't there for the games in 13 and 14. I was there for the 2010 game against Virginia Tech when a, a depleted Florida State tried to find a way, and they couldn't do so that night. But a conference championship game, Ira. Like, what a concept. Here Florida State is. Top five team in the country. They got a chance to win their first 10 games of the season, 16 in a row overall, if they could beat Miami. And we'll get to that in just a little bit tonight. But Ira, this is, it's like pinch me territory. Every once in a while, like the way somebody says something out and about, I go, wow, they really accomplished a ton in a short period of time. It's crazy. Yeah. The stuff that we used to take for granted, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, I just, it was clockwork that Florida State was going to be in Charlotte for the AC championship game. Um, you know, or, you know, if it was going to be moved around, but, but for a while there it was, you know, Florida State was going to be there. And then also, you know, it's sad to say, but, you know, we used to take bowl eligibility completely for granted. I mean, I remember, you know, back in the day, like people would ask coach Bowden, the media would ask coach Bowden after they got their sixth win sometime in October and people would be like, Oh, coach, you're bowl eligible. And he'd say, yeah, we always want to make sure we're bowl eligible. And I'm like, I would look around like, guys, this is Florida State. That's like waking up in the morning. If you wake up in the morning, they're bowl eligible. And uh, but then you you know when that streak gets snapped, now all of a sudden, man, get back to a bowl game. And I think say the same thing with the AC championship game. It just it felt like it was an expectation for so long. But then you go nine years. Nine years is I mean that's you know it's a good chunk of our lives, Tom Lang. That's uh that's too much time to go without going uh, playing for the AC championship. 
yeah, last time I was in Charlotte, uh, there may have been some uh, shenanigans, Ira, that went uh, that went on downtown. Uh, maybe <laughs> two guys that are on the screen were, were uh, involved in those shenanigans. I think the statute of limitations has run out, run its course. I think so. It certainly has, McSorley's. Uh, um, <laughs> that's a quarter of a lifetime ago for me. Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. it's wild. And um, you know, th- there was a time, Ira, to your point, where Florida State fans would say, ah, "I'm not going to go to the ACC championship game because I'm just going to go to the bowl game." You know, I'm going to skip yeah. it. You know, they're always going to be there. They're going to show up in force. I don't care who the opponent is. It could be Louisville, and that's a good fan base. I suppose a team like North Carolina could find their way back into the conversation. They only have two conference losses and a couple of big games in front of them. But no matter who the opponent is, whether they're in the back door uh, of Charlotte and in Tobacco Road, and that's that's where they live, or if it's Louisville or whoever else, Florida State fans are going to be there in force in a way that they probably never have been before in Charlotte, Ira. They are, and and really, it's been this whole season. That's you know we touched on before talking about Wake, but and, and even Pitt. But like, you know, when you're at the airport or you know you're at the game or whatever, and you run into Florida State fans, there are so many FSU fans I've talked to this season who are going to every game, um, if not every game, maybe every game but one. Um, a lot of people. I think it's two things. One is coming into this year, there was a lot of excitement because uh, you know what this team could be. It's been several years since Florida State's played at that level. So a lot of people are like, okay, well, if they're going to be back on that stage, I want to be here for every step of it. There's also the twist of you don't know how long, much longer they're going to be in the ACC. Is this the last trip to Pitt? Is this the last trip to Boston? Is this the last trip to Snuggie Hill? And, and then I think also just the, 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 the way people like this team. Like this team is a likable team. And so I think that's part of it also. But a lot of FSU fans have been going to every game and everybody I talk to uh, you know, I'll, we'll always ask, you know, are, are you going to go to Charlotte? And it's unanimous. Like everybody sounds like they're planning to go to Charlotte. So, which is cool because if they are playing Louisville, it's going to be a pretty heavy partisan FSU crowd, I think. It will be. And the Louisville fans that arrive there in Charlotte will be rowdy. So that's going to be some yeah. kind of atmosphere in downtown Charlotte and all the places around it. We're looking forward to it. Florida Man- is, that, is that who you want to see? Do you want to see Louisville or do you have a preference? Um. I'd like to see more chaos between now and then. Like, there's two schools of thought, which is play the team that is ranked the absolute highest right. that they, you know, for Florida State's resume, and that's Louisville. There's really no other candidate that can rise to the level because Louisville would be a top ten team if they went out. Okay, yeah, there's just so much attrition, you know, for the other teams in the top ten hours. So they could be eight or nine at that point. So that's one school of thought. My school of thought is if you go thirteen and zero, it doesn't matter who the hell you right. play. So let's find a tire fire that comes to Charlotte, <laughs> and this could be like 2013. You know, the last two times Florida State had played in the ACC championship era were two very different games. I'm sure you covered both of them start to finish. The Duke game was a laugher by the middle of the first quarter, early second quarter. And then the Georgia Tech game was nip and tuck the whole way, like pretty much every game was. was Who's going to have the ball last? Uh, So if you could give me 2013 over again, that's the path I want to take. Would you agree with that? Or or do you want to see Florida State? get tested by somebody like a Louisville that that's an interesting no, team. I'm with you. I think if they're undefeated, they're going to get in. Um, you know, all the talk, the storyline about, you know, Florida state, I know Heather Dinich, who's like the college football playoff reporter, um, you know, made a comment last week about Florida state's got the most to lose if they lost a game. Well, yeah, man, if Florida state loses a game, they're having a hard time getting in the playoff. I, I don't think any FSU fan is expecting them to get in with a loss, but if they win out, then they're going to be in. And that's the plan. And so, yeah, I'm with you. I think you just want to play uh, the easiest opponent. And, you know, I, part of me, you know, we talked about last week on headlines, you know, part of me is like, you know, a team with a terrible defense seems like a lot of fun. But, 
you also don't want to play a great quarterback. So, um, yeah, I, you know, look, Florida State, I think, is going to be uh, in great position to win no matter who they play. And, and the nice thing is, is I don't think it's going to be a team that um, has any I – don't, I don't know if there's a team in the conference that matches up talent for talent with Florida State. So just go play well. Especially if they're healthy. Uh, Florida man in Texas, thank you for the contribution. He says it's Miami hate week. He's enjoying the, the fact that Florida State – is 9-0 and and feeling good about that clinching of the ACC championship game. Yeah, you know what, Ira? As soon as it hits triple zeros against Pitt yesterday, Miami hate week begins. And so in the first few hours of Miami hate week here in Tallahassee or Florida State fans around the country, you see Miami lose in spectacular fashion to NC State last night. Uh, another situation in which red zone woes are there. Tyler Van Dyke is very generous with the football. Uh, it comes down to the nitty-gritty at the end. But that is a house of horrors for many programs in the ACC is uh, NC State. So it takes the shine off the game uh, a little bit. And I think that's one of the principal reasons, Ira, that the kickoff for Florida State and Miami next week is 3.30. Now, it, they set, a, a, I think, a Guinness World Record for making a decision on what time the game was going to kick off. It got into lunchtime today, which is ridiculous. Uh, but that's more for our jobs, not for your concern. 3.30 is the kickoff, not 7.30. Unfortunate. Uh, it's probably a little bit of good news for Miami, Ira, but it comes on the heels of bad news because they lose a game they probably should have won against NC State. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm curious to see what they do this week. I, I I wonder if they consider making a change of quarterback. I don't know if if the freshman has shown. I mean, I know he didn't get to show much when they played earlier, but uh, Van Dyke seems to be broken. Um, I mean, it it's just it's. I don't know what's gone wrong there. I swear. <laughs> Nice, nice work, Ben. I sw I swear that uh, I was convinced he was going to be a really good quarterback. I mean, I thought when when they when he came out with two or three years ago yep. onto the scene, I was like, dude, this is Miami. Miami's got one. Like they've got a real quarterback now, and it's just they've they've ruined him one way or another. And so um, if he plays, I mean, I think Florida State may just romp. Um, I still I wouldn't imagine that there, somebody's going to come off the bench and in their first big start or first road start play great against Florida State. So I think they're in, they're behind the eight ball either way, yep. but uh, at least there would be some unknown there on their they might have some element of surprise. Roland Van Dyke out there and expecting him to play better all of a sudden seems like it's not going to happen. No, and the game plan for them to beat Clemson when they had Emory Williams in and he's a Florida Panhandle product. Uh, they had the ball for over 37 minutes. I know it goes to overtime, but they had the ball for over 37 minutes in regulation, did Miami. Emery Williams, I think, Ira, his yards per attempt figure was at five yards or just under yeah. five yards. So, I mean, it, yeah. ball control really is a way. It's about the only path uh, to helping yourself beat a, a lethal offense like Florida State, especially if it's healthy. Right. But uh, Vegas doesn't buy it. I mean, that initial line was somewhere between 14 and 15, depending upon where you were shopping. I was a little bit taken aback by that number. I get it's here in Tallahassee, and that makes a difference, Ira. But two full touchdowns, um, yeah. interesting, because Miami, you know, for all their faults, they still have a lot of talent in the trenches. But uh, maybe Vegas is is wise to something about either belief or the quarterback situation just being a non-starter for the Hurricanes. Yeah, and it also could be looking at Florida State. Maybe the feeling is that they're going to have a bunch of these guys back. Um, because, again, you know, these last two games, it's funny, you know, Jordan Travis's passing numbers the last two weeks are, are two of his most prolific passing games. And it was when they were at their most depleted and, um, you know, kind of scuffling through some things. And so, um, you know, if you get all those guys back, man, you get back to 
to maybe really kind of humming on offense. So I think it's probably a combination of both those things. So let's take a look at that and appreciate what we just saw last night from Jordan Travis. And, you know, if you take a look at Florida State's depth chart and then you look at the guys that were available on the field at wide receiver, this is something, Ira, that's just worth reflecting on. And so let's post that now. It's a, it, it, Here's Florida State's depth chart from this week for Pitt. We got some color codes going on here, folks. There you go. Everybody likes color codes. It makes everything neat and a, a nice visual aid. But look at Florida State's wide receiver situation. And you see that Johnny, I mean, we all know who was out in terms of the stars, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. They talked about it every five seconds, like it was Jabril Peppers back in the day for the Orange Bowl. But Hakeem Williams was not available in this game. Ira, Deuce Span didn't take a snap that I'm aware of. And, and you know, when I saw Rodney Hill take the opening kickoff back, I thought, uh-oh, where the hell's number five? Destin Hill was clearly limited by injury. You reported after, and I got to apologize to Kentron here because in the postgame show before you showed up, Ira, I said, this is a missed opportunity for 88. All these guys are out and you don't take advantage of it. Well, Kentron was limited by injury per Mike Norvell in his postgame. So the two guys in green, Ja'Kai Douglas, Darion Williamson, Vandravius Jacobs is not listed on the depth chart, but he had a catch in this game. He also drew a targeting foul. That's who Jordan Travis was working with at wide receiver. You want to make an argument for this quarterback to be in the Heisman discussion? How about looking at that depth chart, who's available and who's not available, and then look at those totals, 22 of 36, for 360 yards and a score. Ira, this is an incredibly impressive day for Jordan Travis on the heels of what I thought to be his most impressive passing performance against Wake Forest. He's going to a different level, an even higher level, I think. Oh, did we lose your sound? Sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's a game where if you don't have an elite quarterback, you probably you may, there's a good chance you're not going to win that game because – you know, you don't what what you lose with Keon and Johnny, and it's very apparent when you get into that game, um, is you know the the catch radius is such a big deal, and so I mean, now, man, the quarterback has to be pinpoint accuracy, um, and, and and those guys aren't going to be able to hold their position as well when they're getting jostled by defensive backs. There's just a lot of reasons you want those big bodied receivers, and so you didn't have them, and uh, you know, Florida State had to really use their whole complement of weapons. I mean, you saw the tight ends get real active again a lot of the screen game again. And then, and then he started connecting with Ja'Kai. I mean, a couple of those passes to Ja'Kai were just awesome. Um, Ja'Kai made a couple of tough catches, at least one or two over the middle where he knew he was going to get hit. Um, it was, uh, it was awesome. man. If, if he doesn't come through there, I don't know. I mean, I, and he didn't have a touchdown in six catches, 115 yards and no touchdowns, but man, he came through when it felt like, man, they're going to have a hard time moving the ball because, Pitt was selling out to stop the run. I mean, after, I don't know, maybe two plays into the game, whenever it was, they realized that both Keon and Johnny were out. I mean, it was nine, 10 guys, sometimes 11 guys, all basically in the box. And, uh, you know, they had to throw the ball and Jordan got it done. Yeah, personally for me, I think Florida State's offensive line is power five average at best in terms of run blocking, especially the way they want to block it up like last year's scheme. They're, they're average at, at that. They're much better at pass protection than they are run blocking. And so when you don't have receivers and you need to run the ball to a degree and Pitt knows that it can stack eight or nine guys around the line of scrimmage routinely, that's a hell of a matchup in that situation for Pitt. So what happens is you have to have a player rise above it all. And you could kind of see it either on the TV broadcast. I wonder if maybe some of the mannerisms on the sidelines, you could catch that in the stadium. Yeah. But it seemed like as we got to from drive two to drive three to drive four, Jordan was getting his arms around the situation. 
you know, thinking you, you could see it on his face like, OK, I'm going to have to go to this other place today. And he didn't even really do it with his legs. He had to go to this other place with his arm talent, with his accuracy to dudes who aren't trees on the perimeter, to smaller type guys or some of his other targets over the middle of the field. And he did have some frustration early. Um, and I don't know if he caught it on camera or not, but he there were a couple of those drives like when the thir- when they got stopped on the fourth down, I think. Um, and a couple of times where he came off and, you know, you could tell he was not, ha- he didn't like maybe the play calls. He didn't like the execution. He was frustrated about just how things were going. And there was at least one time where basically Alex Elisami, the you know the student assistant for the quarterbacks kind of went over to him and was kind of getting him on the headset and they were not calming him down, but just kind of like, I'm just reminding him that like, I mean, you, you're the guy, like you have to carry us through this. And it seemed like something It's some, there was a, there was a period there where Pitt had the ball for a little while, or maybe there's a timeout, but they were on the sideline for a good long while. It wasn't one of those where, cause what was happening early is they would, their drive would end and then the defense would kind of get them back right back on the field. And they never really got their composure. But there's one possession where it felt like Jordan was over there for a while. And I watched him on the sideline and, and he started kind of joking around with guys and you could tell he was kind of maybe just he you know he kind of recalibrated mm-hmm. and uh to use Mario Cristobal's word and uh and I just felt like he was you know kind of found that place and then you started seeing them play much better overall yeah this is just a trial that you couldn't have drawn up in the preseason given where Florida State's offense looked to be on paper and again you know if Hakeem Williams is 100% available Ira they're not in the situation it could have that, been a huge game for him yeah yeah i mean Cantron Destin, like if any of them you know i feel like this is uh when uh who was it was it Gene Chizik showed up and all, any of them any of them had been available yeah. you're probably in a different situation you know Vandravius Jacobs came out in the first half and made a big catch to move the chains in a, in a huge spot he was clearly the first read that Jordan saw but that's how far down the depth chart they were willing to go they had to go in this game. And again, it's not like one of those days where Jordan throws for 300 and runs for 85 and two scores. This had to be on his arm. And I get they only scored 24 points, Ira. But when you are this type of a quarterback, an elite player, some days you just got to put the team on your back. He did it last year against Florida when there were drops galore and the offensive line couldn't block it up for him. This to me was another one of those examples where if Florida State faces some sort of serious adversity against Florida on the road, or in the ACC championship game, or maybe in the playoff, Jordan can look back on a moment like this, draw on this, and, and it could help him power through. Because yeah. this was um, this was a giant test of attrition yesterday. Yeah, and I thought, and the other thing that was kind of a throwback, it, it, again, so much of that game felt like we were back in 2020 or 2021 in terms of, I mean, you don't have the big studs at receiver, and your offensive line's going to be, because that's how teams were playing Florida State before Johnny showed up. And before, and certainly before Keon showed up, teams had, you know, teams were just stocking the box, stacking the box, saying, Jordan, you're not going to beat us with your legs, and you don't have receivers that can beat us. So we're going to press them. We're not going to let you throw underneath. And that was the challenge every week. And Mike Norvell would have to scheme things up. He and Kenny Dillingham would have to scheme things up, finding ways to move the ball through the air. And you saw them do a little bit of that yesterday. I mean, they they got creative a few times. Um, And I know some people don't like some of the cute plays, the flea flick or whatever. But, you know, the, the pass to Marquise and Douglas is an incredibly well-drawn-up play. Um, they get some, basically a free touchdown, a 20-yard touchdown. And so they did – it was kind of a throwback in that way as well where I felt like Norvell and, and, and Atkins kind of, you know, schemed up some things to help out. 
More than 750 of you here on the Sunday Smash presented by State Farm agent Russ Voorhis. Thank you for being here. Hit that thumbs up at the bottom of the video if you would. It takes just one second to do so. Let's get it up to about three, 400 thumbs ups underneath the video. It helps us find more FSU fans. And I think this is the time when more FSU fans that are casuals are saying, wait, nine and oh, I better start paying attention. So send them here to War Chain if you would, please. We appreciate your help. A couple of people to thank. Tommy Jenkins wants a commitment from you, Ira. He wants a commitment. He says, when we beat Miami, it is a requirement to break out the Don Julio. The face you make after a shot is priceless. Will you commit to the Don if the Knolls start 10-0 and and they beat Miami this week? 100%. Okay. 100%. No doubt. No question at all. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've got, got some Don Julio just aging. You know how, it, how we like to do. We like to age the Don Julio. And, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be, uh, be ready to go, Tommy. Yeah. I won't disappoint you. Trust me. I saw you looking off screen. Is it within arm's reach? <laughs> it, it might there? be. Might okay. Be. All right. All right. Noel Buck 83. Thank you, man. You're always supporting the post game show as well. So thank you for uh, these generosities from you. Ira, we went to the game, wanted your opinion on the formation seemed, uh, to have receivers bunched to one side a lot. Was this because of the receiver injuries and Mike Norvell was just trying to scheme them open? Did you notice a difference in formations yesterday, Ira, with the attrition that Florida State was trying to power through? Yeah, I mean, I definitely saw some bunch stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that they were, I think they were scrambling a little bit um, because even the stuff that you know early on, like I think that he, I think he thought um, Darion would come through in a couple of places, and and it just didn't connect. Um, and I think you know just it, it wasn't working. So I think they were they were it was a lot of trial by error. Um, and I thought that again, that's what I said. Like I thought as the game went on, Norvell kind of found some things and, and they, they, this was a game to me where the coaches had to step up. You know, a lot of times this season when you've got Keon and Johnny and Trey in the backfield and Jordan Travis, a quarterback, and you're playing a defense that uh, doesn't know what's going to come, man, you can kind of have some fun. Like you don't have to be super creative. I thought you saw a lot of them, kind of working through things, trying to find something that would work. And the other thing was like the offense, you know, was frustrating about it is they were moving the ball. It's just, they were not, they kept having negative plays, either a penalty or, you know, a tackle for loss. And it would kind of end a drive. And, and so, you know, it was never, I never felt like Florida State couldn't move the ball. It was just, they couldn't consistently do it without a mistake and uh, be able to finish off the drive. Yeah, it was uh, frustrating. I put this out on uh, social media at halftime. It's like from the it doesn't feel like files. Florida State had 297 yards of offense in the first half, 6.6 yards per play. You know, But when you don't execute in the red zone and finish those drives, Ira, one of them is a fourth down stand for Pitt, and the other one is a, is a field goal that you have to try at the end close to halftime. It doesn't feel like that you gained 297 yards, but basically you're on pace for 600 yards of offense without your stud receivers. So like that's the positive Right. But you've got to finish. I'm going to ask you in just a second uh, about practice and your thoughts about how Florida State is practicing to the level that you're comfortable. But first, 15 seconds of knowledge about our friend Russ Forhis. Contact Russ Forrest for an auto quote today. Bonus information about Russ Voorhis. He serves the state of Florida. He serves Georgia. He serves Alabama. Those are the brick-and-mortar operations for Russ, Jacksonville Beach, and Orange Park. That's his website, russvorhis.com. He will talk with you, even if you don't necessarily convert into one of his clients. 
Russ is a great resource to learn all the answers that you want to get about whatever coverages you're looking to get. Uh, the power of State Farm is behind our friend Russ Voorhis, and uh, he's a diehard Knoll. So chances are, Ira, as you like to say, the conversation will be a little bit about insurance, but then you're going to have your own version of the smash where you're talking about the Knolls for a good half an hour or an hour with Russ. He's a diehard, as diehard as they come. Yeah, and he uh, he definitely has some opinions. And I actually, uh, at the airport on the way home from Pitt in Charlotte, I was talking to somebody from FSU, and they said that they were talking to Russ, and he was talking about how many FSU fans have reached out uh, because of the smash, and, and he's already had some uh, interest and clients and things like that. And also, he's getting recognized now. Russ has become a celebrity because of the smash. People are recognizing him at games. Hey, you're the guy that, that uh, advertises on the Sunday Smash. And so, yeah, give him a shot. I mean, again, we all, um, you know, you, there's so many parts of our lives where we have to have insurance. You need to do it. It's a requirement in some cases, or just being smart. But Russ can handle all your needs, and he's just a wealth of information. Good guy, lifelong knoll, and uh, like you said, conveniently located here in North Florida. There he is right there. You see his photo on the screen. Just imagine somebody who's about 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, and then there you go. That's the combination. He's a, big, he's a big boy. You also, yeah, you also want to be with him at the bar if things go south. The, or north. Either way, he's a good guy. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, there was a place in the All Saints district that I would often see, Russ, for a, a craft brew as that industry was booming, Ira. It was always mm. a good time. But I wanted to ask you about practice. Um, you know, as the season's gone on, I've been there less and less, but you're there every day that we're allowed to be at practice. And I'm just wondering your take on how the team looks week to week I know it's different because you got scout team. It's, it's not quite like camp where you go good on good all day. But what's your sense of how this team is is navigating the season week to week as much as you're able to share with the policy that we have? Yeah, I mean, I think it, for the most part, it's been really consistent. Um, I think that's probably the best word I could give. And it's what we talked about back in the in camp. Like we the one of the words you and I talked about and, and Jeff and everybody else was like the professional approach. Um, and we saw that early in camp. I thought that was really – indicative of what we would see this season. And I think the effort and the, the attitudes have been pretty consistent um, throughout the course. You see situations like during certain weeks where the coaches are emphasizing different things because they're knowing what might be something you have to expect. You know, you, there was so much excitement for the Duke game. And so, uh, you know, obviously they didn't have to ramp anything up that week. Then you get into the Wake Forest week and you could feel like, the guys were making sure because of what their history the last few years against Wake Forest were that there was that they were on task for that game. You know, they had lost to Wake Forest three straight years. That they had a pretty business-like approach. Last week was a little bit different. Early in the week, there was a lot of hooting and hollering at practice. Like it was almost manufactured energy. And I think that was because you had just played the Duke game a week before. You then you you vanquished Wake Forest, the team that had kind of dominated the last few years against you. And so now you're going into a pick game against a team that just lost 58 to seven. And so it felt like early last week, there was almost like the coaches and, and Mike Norval basically admitted it, that they challenged the players to bring energy um, and to manufacture energy because it wasn't going to come out of who they were playing that week. That wasn't going to be something that got the juices flowing. So early last week, a lot of hooting and hollering, a lot of guys kind of, you know, some snippiness at practice, just trying to, kind of create that interest. But the downside to that last week was, and people saw it during the game, they were pretty limited um, at receiver. And so you didn't get as much great competition at practice. Um, and again, we can't talk about at the time who's available and who's not. But, you know, there were some guys who were not available last week. And so 
you know, it limits how much good competition they're getting at practice. This week, I think will be fun if, again, if you read our practice reports and the observations and the videos that, you know, we put out, um, you know, that we're able to put out, um, you know, I have a feeling, I have a feeling the practices are going to be a lot, lot more of the competition side. Last week, it was a lot more kind of forced enthusiasm. This week, I think you might get back to real competition if some of those guys are back in, in, in practice. Yeah, makes sense across the board. This is two rivalry games in the span of 14 days beginning next Saturday, 3.30 kick that was announced today, 3.30 kick on ABC. I do have a little bit of insight into that in terms of the, the reason the networks went that way. So um, CBS was mulling over, as I'm told, Ira, who they were going to take for their SEC game of the week, and it was about when can they spend their last chip on Georgia. Do they want to do it this week for Old Miss, or do they, might they want to do it for the Tennessee game? And so they eventually say no for Georgia this week. So that means ESPN gets Georgia Ole Miss, which is a game they're already sending for game day. They're sending the game day crew out there. Because that's at seven, they didn't want the the audiences to be split and divided. So at that point, since ESPN knows they got primetime SEC with that game, Florida State flexes back to 330. Mm -hmm. So if you want some backstory there, the inside baseball, that's, as I understand, why the dominoes fell the way they did and why it took so long for them to fall as they did. Yeah, man, I thought it was, it's supposed to be a six-day window. I thought it was going to turn into a four-day window. I thought it was going to go till tomorrow. Uh, that was that as long as it's ever gone, right? Uh, I've never seen anything quite like that. Like last night, Ira, I was up till the second 145. Not the first 145, but the second one. I said, all right, the hell with this. I thought maybe the Pac-12 game's ending. Maybe that's what they were waiting on. And when a half an hour went by after, uh, what was that second game? UCLA and Arizona ended. I said, all right, well, we're, we're clearly done here. And then this morning, you know it, you, me, and Gene were all yeah. trading, trading. Uh, like, when is this going to break? I figured at some point, I were just going to wake up on Saturday and be told then. This is Saturday. It's like, all right, here you go. Oh, it's already in the second quarter. Uh, Florida man in Texas again. Thank you very much for the contribution. Glad Coach Norvell, uh, or sorry, Coach Norvell has to be the leading candidate for Coach of the Year just from the adversity he's seen so far. Is there anyone even close? What do you think, Ira? You, you you break down a lot of coaches' press conferences, but you watch a lot of co- college football. Do you think that Coach Norvell has to be at least a finalist for Coach of the Year this year? I mean, I think Harbaugh's got to be a slam dunk, right? Oh, because uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, just kidding. Um, give him to Stallions. <laughs> give it to Stallions. Yeah, yeah, Stallions the cheater. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think if um, yeah, I mean, Norvell's got a great shot for sure. I mean, especially if they they finish on the feed. Uh, because nobody, I mean, you know, you wouldn't imagine Kirby's going to get it. You wouldn't think. Um, I mean, they've kind of been rolling. Um, hey, headliners and elite headliners. It's Ira here, and it's time to talk Shopify. As you remember, a couple of years ago, we wanted to create and sell headlines merch for the best podcast listeners in the world. That's you. But we had no idea where to get started. Now we're selling Yay Sausage shirts, and it's so easy all because we use Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're a startup working out of your man cave or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to grow your business without all the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. You could be selling Don Julio socks from Shopify's in-person point of sale system or offering headliner shirts from Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform. Whatever you need, you're covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. 
What I love most about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up today for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash warchant, all lowercase, and they'll help you grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Go to shopify.com slash warchant. Uh, I got yeah, I mean, day, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if um, yeah, I think they got. I mean, yeah, I think he's got a good shot. And if, uh, if, uh, Oklahoma made it undefeated into the playoff. You give it to Venables, but that's gone by the wayside. They have two losses now. Um, Sark. I mean, they're a favorite in the Big Twelve to make the playoffs. So maybe there's competition I mean, there with Sark. If um, Ohio State wins, if they beat Michigan, maybe yeah. Ryan yeah. Day maybe is a, is a threat, but. But yeah, no, I think Norvell's a great candidate. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, we, again, like, you know, Asla and I were taking an Uber to the stadium and um, yesterday, and the, the Uber driver was, you know, a big college football fan. And uh, he, with a lot of opinions, Tom, he had a lot oh, of opinions. Okay. But he, but even he was like, and he's a Pitt fan and he pays attention. And he was like, man, how did this happen so quickly? Mm-hmm. He's like, I remember when we went down there with Kenny Pickett and, you know, didn't look very good. And, uh, you know, he was just like, he was, he literally didn't understand how quick, how Florida State has gotten that good this quickly. And I think from that standpoint, again, that speaks to, um, you know, Norvell. And I thought like Dave Clawson nailed it as well. Dave Clawson and Dino Babers both in Back to Wyback Weeks where they talked about how Mike Norvell has done probably the best job of not only coaching his team, but what they've done in the portal, what they've done in, Dave Aranda, Dave Aranda has had, he, he's got a, he's got to hand over his trophy. He, he won a few years ago. Um, uh, coach speak legend, the real coach of the year. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, Z Chan contribution. So there you go. Z Chan. Thank you very much. Um, but you know, they, that like the way they've assembled the roster, the way they've turned around the program, the way they've, and, and then, you know, vanquishing, you know, Clemson, you know, they're not the only ones, but, but to take the mantle back in the conference. Yeah. I mean, Norvell's a, I mean, it seems like he, he would be the leading candidate, right? I mean, I, I can't think of anybody who, who has a clearly stronger case. Yeah, just what a weird, you know, you couldn't envision this a couple of years ago for a, a few reasons. Maybe like the Uber driver was saying, you guys turn it around quick, but you could win coach of the year because you manage the portal really well. Right. You know, like that's, but that's part of it. It is. I mean, it's a huge part of the game now. Uh, Z-Chan again also, he says, we're talking about practice. Forgot to do this yesterday, but who gets the crown of the game? This is something that Z-Chan does, pun intended, as the official DMD of Warchan TV. But um Besides Jakai, who would you give the MVP to, the crown of the game from yesterday? Jordan's an easy answer. Ira, do you have anything else? Anybody else in there? I'm trying to think maybe somebody on defense. Um, you it's know, a very productive one tackle, one sack game for Braden Fisk, wasn't it? Right. Very productive, yeah. only having that one number on the stat line. He was very, yeah, he was disruptive. Um, I, You know, man, I, I know people – Everybody wants to take shots at Fentrell Cypress. I don't know why he has not like seemed to be well respected. I think he's a very good cornerback, um, and I don't know that that play was his responsibility. I don't know why the safeties were coming up so hard. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the design of the play was. I don't know whether or not that's totally Fentrell Cypress's guy or not. But man, that strip is enormous because if he doesn't get it, they get seven there, and then they go up. They score again a couple of possessions later. It could be a 14 nothing, And now you got real game pressure when you've got no receivers. And who knows if the receivers you have, 
continue making plays if they're down 14, nothing. So uh, he might, he might be worthy of a conversation. It's uh yeah, you're talking about, it's basically a touchdown play. You know, you think about it on offense that a guy scores a touchdown, but that's basically seven points right there, right then and there. And it felt like I heard to me that 17 to 20 points was the race yesterday. Like if Florida state could get to 17 or 20, the game was going to be over. It took a while to get there, but even the, uh, the student section for Pitt knew when it got to 17, they're like, all right, we're done here. I see a couple of uh, Conrad Hussies in the chat right now. He continues to make an impact. Ira. He strikes me as uh, he reminds me a little bit of LaMarcus Joyner. They're not the same height or anything. Right. Don't, get, don't get me wrong, but it's just that whatever they do, it will be at a hundred miles per hour. That's the way Conrad plays. It's just yeah. with his hair on fire. Could it be that that's a player that gets meaningful reps for the next two rivalry games? Could he be? I wouldn't surprise me. I mean, no, he's definitely, he can play. I mean, he's, he's proven he can play. Um, and that young DB class, man, that's what, you know, again, one of the conversations I had with an FSU fan on the way back was just looking at the future and like looking at next year. And, and uh, you know, again, like you, there are some really good young talent. They're going to have to do some things in the portal this off season, no question, but there's some great young talent on this team. I, those young DBs, Conrad Hussey, Edwin Joseph, um, Quindarius Jones, KJ Kirkland. I mean, those are all nice, really nice young players. Blake uh, Nicholson. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of young talent that I think, I don't know if they're all going to be stars next year, but there's a lot of really good young talent. And then that freshman class, it seems like all of those five stars, Charles Lester, KJ Bolden, all those guys are coming in in January. Um, so again, man, like they're, this team is going to, I think is going to morph a little bit from being so transfer heavy to being a little bit more of a mix to, to maybe even a little bit more of, you know, those homegrown players. Yeah, it feels like there might be one more transitional period and, yeah. you know, for the portal itself this upcoming offseason, which will be fun to document because now the book is out on Florida State, Ira. It's like it's bad in one way. If they offer a kid who's unheralded, that means all the powers in college football will probably take a look at that kid's film a little bit more seriously. But now your reputation precedes you before the phone rings for a young man and they see Mike Norvell you know, or they see Tallahassee, Florida, 850 is calling them. They're going to go, oh. Okay, so they're interested in me because Florida State makes kids money and they win football games. That, you know, in terms of their NFL prospects, they're graduating kids up uh, to the professional ranks. They're developing them. That'll be fun to see. I think there's just there might be one more handful, maybe more than a handful. Yeah. Coming off season because there's so much attrition. But then you're right. After that, it seems like that organic high school base is going to arrive by 2025, which which gets pretty exciting. Uh, Ed Lemick says, and thank you, Godfather, for showing up. They should get Biscuit the ball more. Those DBs don't want any of him. If he can catch the ball consistently, he will truck some dudes. And he had a touchdown yesterday, Ara. Yeah. You know that the TV broadcast was very late getting to that that touchdown. It, it was checking off the bad broadcasts. Were, weren't they? Um, were they like showing highlights of previous plays or something? I think so. Because yeah. yeah, because what happens? Aslan and I were watching it live, and I didn't catch that it was the tackle eligible basically like that he was lined up as, as the tackle and so but I saw the way Jordan you know it's one of those plays that was on the far end of the field so I didn't have a great look at it but I saw the way Jordan as soon as he took the snap went straight to him wide open touchdown I'm like what what just happened on that play yep. and so the tv broadcast in the booth in the, the tvs we have in the, the replays in the uh not the replays but the tv feed in the press box was way behind so we were waiting to get it so I could see it and then, yeah, when they showed it, he was already like halfway into his route. And I was like, what yeah. the hell happened? No, it, um, look, man, I, I don't usually drop too many colorful bombs during the game. I'm busy, you know, like, you know, writing stuff down, analyzing. 
there was a loud one yesterday. I'm like, oh, gee, idiot, you got to be kidding me. What happened? Because because Mark Jones calls like, and there's a touchdown. Like that's literally the call. And there's a yeah. touchdown. <laughs> okay, they did show it with the 22 afterwards of the later. Broadcast. So you, you could see that Byers, I think it was, uh, was lined up um, in the slot. Well, kind of not slopping in the bunch. Right, the right, on the other side. Um, it was a good time to burn that play. You know, I know they ran it last year in the in the uh, Citrus Bowl or the Champs Bowl, um, but that was a good time to use that IRA because it looked like they needed a little bit of gadgetry to finish that drive. Then they, yeah, exactly. They had to get seven points there, and I think you know also like there were a couple other plays where you know some 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 ways they got Shaheen the ball. I mean, like they were, you could tell like, and I and I think that goes with where they knew all week that this was going to be the case. Because again, Ja'Kai said they came to him on Monday and, and asked him, are, are you willing to give it a shot playing outside receiver? And he was all for it. So that means they pretty they knew that there's a good chance they were going to be that depleted outside. And uh, and it worked, Ben. And again, again, that speaks to one of the cool things, and I'm, I'm going to write about this a little bit in my 3-2-1, but like one of the really best things that Mike Norvell does, I believe, is he – he finds something guys can do. If he finds value in players, like he doesn't let them just float off into the ether, you know, like he's not going to let them just disappear just because he doesn't need them. And I think there are times in games where sometimes we'll be like, why has he got so-and-so in the game? Why is he getting so, why is he, why isn't he running? Corey does that a lot. He'll be like, I want so-and-so to get that ball. Why would you even waste your time with so-and-so? I think part of it is he really has this, 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 holistic approach where he wants to keep everybody involved and engaged yeah. in case he needs them. And man, here's a week where, you know, Ja'Kai Douglas got hurt in this on the first day of preseason practice after missing like half of last season with injury. In my mind, I'm like, man, the kid can't stay healthy. You can't count on him. Let's focus on Destin Hill. Let's focus on Winston, Wright. You know, just, you can't count on him being healthy, but man, Norvell, he's never lets those guys just kind of fade and then when you need them and they come through and that's just, it's a credit to his approach um, to really just kind of keep everybody engaged um, over the long time, long term. Well, and think about what it does. So this week, you know, as you're breaking down the game and thinking about what Florida state can do to Miami and you know, the Miami defensive fronts, one of the strengths of that team. So if you have to get the ball out quickly, it's not like Destin Hill is able to go zero to 60, like he's hundred percent healthy. Mm-hmm. We saw that yesterday on the broken play, the one catch for 29 yards that Destin had. But now that Jakai is in a place with confidence, Ira, if you do have Keon and you do have Johnny back and they're blocking on the perimeter and you're able to get the ball out to Jakai, that's a plus play. I mean, it wasn't just that he was making catches down the field. There were two catches, Ira, that were quick throws where you make a guy miss, he gained six on one, he gained more than 10 yards on another. The bubble screen game could be back a little bit because you now work Jakai Douglas into the fold. And the second thing that Mike is doing there, I think, Ira, number one, he's keeping guys involved in the short term. But in the era of the transfer portal, getting guys involved up and down the depth chart keeps your roster intact. I think, you know, for the, the, the war instead of the battle, it's a good idea to make sure those guys keep on coming off the bench. Uh, sometimes I get yeah. mad about that with the defensive rotation, but I mean, right. you, you get the, but it's the same principle. It I really believe it's the same, same principle. We need to uh, issue a happy birthday message to Elise, her 60th birthday. She says, hi, Knowles. It's my 60th birthday. Can I get a go Knowles? Absolutely, Elise. Go Knowles. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. 
I would I would suggest we sing, but I think we might uh, that might be a bad idea. All I've got is "Here Comes Virginia," and I can't really sing that right now. Uh, Elise, you know, I saw that uh, last night on the post game show that uh, today was in fact going to be your birthday. So I'm sorry I missed out on wishing you an early happy birthday, but happy 60th. I hope you're enjoying it. Questions now for the final oh, 10, 12 minutes of the program tonight on Sunday Smash, presented by State Farm agent Russ Forhis. Christian says, if we're up 45 to nothing at the start of the fourth quarter against Miami, do we just start taking a knee? I like it. That's a great question. Um, I like it. I think a whole quarter is a long time to be – we're just going to be in the victory formation for yeah. this entire quarter. That's – I might be pushing it a little bit. I, I think, yeah, I think what you should do, as uh, you can see the Drake Cristobal there on the screen, I think I, I would rotate a different player, and they could report eligible as offensive linemen. Just rotate a different guy every every play to take the knee. So it's like, oh, here's Casey Roddick. 70 is reported eligible. <laughs> Snap drop to a knee. Here's Hakeem. Here's, yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, hi, Jenks. Thank you for the contribution. Uh, that just came in. Appreciate the work, fellas. At least with the time change, the UM game might feel like a night game. Fair enough. Keep climbing and all hail Garnet the Goldfish. Yeah. Uh, did you see Garnet the Goldfish? Apparently it made uh, it made the journey to Pitt this week. I it sure did. It sure did. I, I'm, uh, yeah, it's. Um, Are you I, I, Garnet the Goldfish, Ira? I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold my comments. Uh, Jeremy oh. asks, uh, does Mike have even a harder job getting them ready now for the game this week? Uh, nope. I think this is going to be one of the easiest weeks of the season yeah. to get the team ready. Um, they've yeah, got to manage guys health-wise, but I, I think that's going to be spirited as hell this week of practice. Without question. Yeah, and, and I think that, that that that's why I felt like last week, the pick game was the last real challenge from that perspective. North yeah. Alabama, it's not going to matter. In Miami and Florida, man, it, they are going to be ready. They're going to be fired up. It's going to be awesome. Even a team full of transfers. That was one thing I thought was cool about Wake Forest was the way that the transfers – the newer players embraced wanting to beat Wake Forest because Florida, Wake Forest had been beating Florida State the last few years. They're 100% going to be united in wanting to beat Miami and Florida. Even guys like Keon Coleman and guys who haven't played against Miami before, I, there's no question. I think this is going to be a great week for them in practice. Jeremy asks, how do people have Heisman contenders on two and three loss teams? What's your take on that, Ira, just in general as somebody who's covered the game for so long do you think enough losses eliminates you if you're a Jaden Daniels type or is it it's not about that what do you think yeah I mean I think it's it speaks to the fact that there's not a great front runner um that's on a great team or is just like at a totally different level than everybody else so now you kind of get into that argument of okay well are you going to go with the guy on the best team or the best player on the best team or are you going to go with like somebody who has great numbers, but they their team is not real successful. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to hold it against a team. A co- if a quarterback or, or receiver or running back is great and their defense stinks on their football team, it's not really their fault. Yeah. So so from that standpoint, um, I wouldn't hold it against Jaden Daniels, but I also thought his numbers weren't that great yesterday. Um, you know, so I, I'm not saying that knocks him out of it, but to me, if you are going to be on a two or three, three, two or three lost team, then you do have to have really much better numbers than everybody else, and I don't know that that's going to be the case. Objectively speaking, as much as I can be as somebody who covers Florida State and is wearing a sweatshirt that has a logo on it, Jordan is climbing into 
uh, finalist status. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how you could not have him near finalist status, getting on a plane, going to New York in December. It's just Ira. He's going to a different level. I don't know if it's health. I don't know if it's that discussion about having fun. Because you said, you know, in the first couple of stops this this past weekend, he was furious. Um, but he, I mean, am I seeing things here, or is he just getting a better and better these last couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think it's a combination of getting healthier and um, and also like probably. I think the offensive line, the pass protection has been getting better because I think those guys have been playing together more. You know, they've, they've, I think the early in the year, I personally believe nobody at FSU has told me this. um, But I, I honestly believe part of the first four or five weeks was figuring out what those, and that's why I kind of, when things were a little bit rocky on the offensive line early in the year, I felt like they would figure it out. Like I figured the, this coaching staff would figure out, okay, what can Jeremiah Byers do? Let's help him out. What can Casey Roddick do? Let's help him out. And I think they've done a better job of that as the year's gone on. Now they're still not going to run block and just pave the way for a huge, you know, just move the line. But I think they've gotten to a place where they're much better. So a better offensive line in terms of pass protection, uh, receivers knowing what they're doing better, and Jordan getting healthier, I think all of that has combined. I think, yeah, he's, he's definitely playing at a higher level. It's a good segue talking about the offensive line for Paul Muller's question, which uh, he asks uh, after stating that we demolished Miami's defensive line with counter last year. Is Miami's defensive line that much improved that we won't be able to do some of that this year? I I think, yes, Miami's defensive line is improved. There's no doubt about that, Ira. I would love to get an answer off the record uh, because I know they won't go on the record. But this coaching staff has to be extremely frustrated that they cannot get five that they want to get healthy at the same time. I mean, it's just yeah. it's a turnstile from health status standpoint for this offensive line, not necessarily about the way they're blocking. And maybe there's a little bit of that, too. But they they have not had, you know, all eight of those guys that they were so excited to have healthy at the same time. Truthfully, Ira, maybe there's only like six at a time that are feeling healthy at most in a given week. That has to be so frustrating for, for the coaching staff. On the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, man, that's awesome that you still have six that can go and, and are out the year, or six or seven. Like, you'd hate to be in a situation where you had five really good ones and then a big drop-off to where if one guy's hurt, now you're you know, you're really scrambling. And I think Darius being the, the Swiss Army knife who can kind of fill in all those spots is, is a big addition as well. It would be great if Robert Scott – they keep Robert Scott keeps dressing out for games but not playing much or playing at all. So maybe he's closer. Maybe he gets closer to full speed. I mean, it, to me, if he's not going to get better later in the year, you would just shut him down. So I would feel like there's a there's a reason they're doing it, and he's going to get better. But we'll have to see. Um, but I think he's a big part of it. And as far as to the question, yeah, I think Miami's defensive line is better, mostly because they'll want to be there. I mean, I think the one thing you got to remember about last year's game is they knew they were out. I mean, that game was they they once Van Dyke got hurt. And like, I mean, they went into that game, I think, expecting to lose. And I think they quit. And that's why you were able to run that play so many times over and over and over. Thing about counter is it is a physical, physical play. Like you're, you know, Dylan Gibbons, a lot of times when he was one of the main guys in that, and he's pulling and it's a head on collision. And after a while, guys don't want to do it, especially if they're losing. If it's a good game, those guys are going to play harder. They're not just going to kind of get washed out. So I think, there are a lot of reasons where I don't think they'll be able to do that like they did last year. It's also a very technical play, and it just doesn't seem like this offensive line has the the fleet of foot kind of qualities yeah. that they, they might have had a little bit last year. The other thing I would say, Paul, final part to that answer is, 
everybody knows that's Florida State's bread and butter. So everybody has worked on a scheme to stop counter and say, right. what else can you do? Florida State has come up with some answers, but we'll see what they break out against Miami. It's going to be really fascinating. Excited to see that. The last question of the night will come from Henry. It's about Jordan Travis Heisman uh, potential and Heisman hype. He's asking, does it suffer from a lack of publicity, a uh, lack of numbers, or just playing in the ACC and the downplayed perception of the defenses or opponents that he faces? I'll, I'll insert a little bit there. I think a little bit of all of the above, but wh- what would you say, Ira? Why is Jordan Travis yeah. not talked about more openly as a Heisman contender? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the playing the ACC is definitely a factor, um, especially if you don't put up crazy numbers. And we knew going into the year that Jordan was going to have a tough time winning the Heisman because he he's probably wasn't going to put up great, great numbers. And, you know, look at these last two years, these last two weeks, he's had his probably two best passing games, but it's when the offense really wasn't their best. When the offense is really operating at a high level, a lot of times he's not throwing for a lot. Um, and so – you know, I just think it's a, it's a, it's, I don't know that this offense and, and he, it's conducive to putting up big numbers. Um, and then they're not playing these high profile games. They did have the big one against LSU early in the year. Um, and then, you know, the win at Clemson, but then that gets, that got, you know, I yeah. guess marginalized by Clemson having such a bad season. So I think those are some big reasons. And then I think, uh, you know, also just, you know, he didn't come into this year with a ton of, I mean, he came in with some hype, but again, not to the level of, you know, maybe some other guys. So I just think it's a combination of all those things. Yeah, not having a top 10 or top 20 opponent consistently in the months of October and November kind of hurts too. And, and you know, what? if their defense was worse, Ira, he'd be on the field more like Michael Penix against USC. He gets to rack up all those numbers last night. But, right. and, but he also had a game, a clunker that Jordan Travis has not had where the offense did not score a touchdown. And yet he is at the top of everybody's list, which – Personally, right. I find frustrating just a little bit. No, I, and and I think that's a great point. But I also, man, there's I have a feeling, and I think you 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 intimated so much as much earlier when you said you think he's a Heisman finalist and he'll end up being a Heisman finalist. It could work out, man, where he's really right there because when the the body of work argument and the the you know best player, best team, or whatever that gets stronger at the end of a year. Like that, those guys, when you win it that way, it's usually kind of like people look around and be like, okay, well, this guy's got great numbers, but his team stunk. This guy's got, you know, good numbers, but he had a couple of really clunk clunkers against good teams. When then you've got this guy who hasn't had clunkers played through injury, played through some situations and his team is undefeated and his numbers are really good. His completion percentage is good. And all these things. Like, I think he could rally late. Um, so I, I wouldn't rule him out. I agree, especially, yeah, you know, if you're playing in Charlotte and Louisville's the top whatever opponent, you go off that night. That's the final impression that people have. You never know. Uh, so as we close tonight's program, Sunday Smash, thank you very much for being here. Hit the thumbs up, everybody. Ira, should we promote what's going on on the website side first or the channel side? Because you can promote the web and I will promote the channel. So which one you want to go first or second in the order? Here? <laughs> Uh, I'll go to the website. Uh, yeah, we got plenty of coverage on the site right now. Warchant.com already from uh, from the pick game. Uh, we'll also have Matt uh, Lasser has an article I'll be putting up here shortly, looking ahead to Miami. Kind of, you know, a lot of FSU fans pay attention to Miami, but some people don't. So he's kind of kind of recapped where they're at, how they've gotten to this point uh, going into Miami week. Um, I'll have the three to one column hopefully in the morning, um, and you know, tomorrow starts Miami week. We'll have press conferences tomorrow around lunchtime. And then 
we'll be covering practices Tuesday and Wednesday throughout the week. So we'll have tons of coverage at warchant.com. We still have the promo going for uh, what, two months for $1. Is that That's still right. going on? It's a YouTube only special, but it's two months for $1. You go to the website right now, top right corner. It's the sign up or joins the green button that you hit. And then you use the code FSU and the number one at checkout. FSU and the number one at checkout gets you a dollar for two months, which Ira, it's spooky sounding, but it takes you into 2024. It takes it you past the college football semifinals should Florida State be there. And signing days in between then and now and the twists and turns of the season, that's a hell of a deal, sir. That's a hell of a deal. We welcome everybody to jump on. Give us a, Just give us a chance. We know you like the YouTube channel. Come on over to the website. And you get the message board community where you don't have to wait for us to do a show to chat. You can jump on the message boards and uh, chat with everybody on there as well. So tomorrow morning here on the channel, Wake Up War Chant will be live. Uh, on, it'll be in your podcast feeds as always, but it's on War Chant TV. So you can hit the like button, subscribe to the channel absolutely free. That's what you'll have every day this week in the mornings. The Jeff Cameron Show tomorrow at 1 o'clock is live. In addition to, of course, the press conferences that Ira's talking about, the Monday press conferences. Tuesday at 1 o'clock, Seminole Headlines reconvenes for Miami Week. First 9-0 and edition of Seminole Headlines since 2014. We like that. Then Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we will reconvene for a little get-together for the college football playoff ranking show. We will see where Florida State is for the second installment of the college football playoff committee's release of their top 25. That gets you through Tuesday, but don't forget, there's Coach Speak coming out on Thursday. I don't know if Ira's got any favorites that he's uh, put away, filed away for the post-game press conferences. Jimbo lost again. I got to imagine that might be in the hopper. Uh, There's a a lot of good content. Maybe we'll have a Mario Cristobal, maybe a little extended edition for Miami Week, Ira. Yeah, Uh, there's there's definitely some material. I don't know if we're going to be able to match last week. Last week was an all-timer, but uh, I'm I'm sure Ben will help us put together some good stuff for this Thursday. Loaded up head to toe. We can't wait to see many of you who are traveling into Tallahassee this weekend. Uh, we got a meet and greet Friday night at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill. Hotel Indigo Saturday at 1230. So that's a lot of things for you to write down. Hopefully you had a pad and paper and you got all that. This is also a DVR function, so you can go back and, and write it all down. But uh, for Irish Chauffel, for Director Ben behind the scenes, uh, thank you all for being here advancing the discussion. Florida Man in Texas, Tommy Jenkins, Nolbuck83, Z-Chan times two, Hi Jenks, Robert D., Thank you for your contributions to everybody in the chat that provided questions. Thank you very much as well. And one finally, again, happy birthday wish to Elise. Happy 60th birthday to you. And uh, thanks, Russ. And thank you, Russ, as always. State Farm Agent Russ Voorhis, diehard Knoll. Endowed scholarships, people. That's how much he cares about Florida State. So send him your business today. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on War Chant TV.